Acts 16, if you have your Bibles tonight, stay, please stay seated. Uh, Acts chapter 16, I appreciate, of course, uh, the opportunity to get to speak tonight uh, to my family, and that's how I look at everyone. Well, most everyone, you have that one family member, you know, you're kind of iffy about, but I do uh, thank the Lord for this opportunity. I thank God for our pastor uh, that loves bus routes and loves bus workers, and our church has a long-standing history of pastors that love bus ministry. You know, started with uh, Pastor Bert Harrison back in the 1960s. And no, I do not remember that decade. You're welcome. And then, of course, Brother Sam. I got to work under him. And boy, does he have a heart for bus. And then it carried on to Brother Jason. And uh, we've got a great heritage here. We really do. And I just want to thank God for that. I get to teach children's ministries there at the school. And I tell the young people with bus ministry, you must have a pastor that backs the ministry. Because if you don't, it's just like spinning your wheels. You're not going to get down the road. And I thank God for our pastor and I thank God for our church. And I want to thank God for our bus workers. Uh, what a great day. Next to Christmas, uh, this is a great day. This is my favorite day. It used to be my birthday, but I've been down the road enough birthdays to where uh, that's starting to go down the list a little bit. <laughs> Uh, but again, I would like to thank God for all our bus workers. Uh, there's not a better group of people uh, to get to work side by side, shoulder to shoulder with every Saturday and every Sunday and just the energy uh, that they bring, especially after the pandemic being shut down for eight long months. And uh, I didn't have anything to do. Uh, don't tell pastor that, but uh, no, it just discouraging, honestly. And I didn't realize how discouraged I was, honestly, until pastor said it's time to restart and uh, boy, just the, the joy and the excitement came back like never before. And boy, it was just like I had just started back 20 years ago. I'm ready to go. And uh, so we started organizing just the energy and the passion. And it's been that way ever since. And uh, so we started the first week of December. And we had three ice days, of course, that we couldn't run the buses. And counting today, 48 people have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through the bus ministry. 48. And that, that just is amazing. So is bus ministry worth it? Uh, is the gas prices worth it? I remember a few years ago under another president that we had, do you remember it was pushing $4? Do you remember those days? And it's starting to get back there with this president, but I won't mention any names. And uh, I was kind of worried, what are we going to do? We were running all these buses. And I remember Kevin, uh, brother Kevin Culver, thank God for him. He calculated per mile how much it was. And so it forced us to consider to be more stewards of our time and to organize our routes. And pastor said, we're going to continue to run them. Souls are worth it. They're a, little, they're a little more worth it than a gallon of gas. And I just thank God for that. So bus workers, again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, those that are going home for the summer, we're going to miss you, expecting you fully to be back again next semester unless you're graduating and that's still up in the air. We would love uh, to have you uh, to come back. And again, keep this in mind, this is not a Heartland ministry. It's not. It's a Southwest Baptist ministry. And so uh, we're going to preach tonight. The subtitle, I guess, my wife said, don't do a subtitle. Sorry, Miss Jackie, I'm going to do it anyway. The Macedonian call for bus workers tonight. And uh, so we have a need. And I believe if there's a need, God has people out there to fill it. They just need to step through that door and take the reins. So I do thank the Lord. Great uh, day today. Thank God for the bus parade. I hope it touched your heart. And I hope that you consider the bus displays. Great job on those bus workers. And I pray that the message will be the cap to not an end, but a new beginning for our bus routes heading into the future after today.
All right, well, we're going to do a very short history uh, of this, uh, this chapter, Acts chapter 16. I'm glad Pastor gave me a warning uh, last week when he preached from Philippians. He said, now, I know Brother Greg's going to, but I'm going to give a little history. And boy, I just like, oh, no, don't you do it. He did. Uh, so that's okay. Uh, but just do a little bit of history. Uh, we see Paul and Silas are now uh, in their second phase or their second missionary journey. They're going to the Gentiles. And Paul had been chomping at the bits you might say, to get to Europe, to get to Asia Minor, to get to preach the gospel. And of course, you know the, your Bible, the Macedonian call. Uh, and that was God's green light to him. Let's go. And boy, did he step through that door. And he went to the shores for the very first time uh, into the Europe region. And we ought to thank God for that today. America wouldn't be here today in the way that it is or the foundation that it was founded on if he did not do that. A lot to consider. And so he hit all the small towns and villages as Christ did preaching the good news of the gospel, came to Philippi and great things began to happen, which do whenever you're preaching the word of God. By the way, great things still happen if you give the gospel today, whether it be a gospel track, knocking on a door, the shyest person in this room can give a gospel track the other day, I went to the Yonkyo on 89th there in Western, went to gas my car up. I pulled the pump, and one of those church tracks came popping out where the pump was. And I'm like, well, hallelujah, it was one of ours. So good job to whoever that was. I salute you. It was awesome. So I picked it up off the ground, dusted it off, and I put it back when I was done. But, you know, anybody can uh, give the gospel, and Paul did. And by the way, Paul knew what he was going to face. You got to remember, he was born a Jew, obviously, but he was born a Roman citizen. And being born in a Roman culture, he knew about the multiplicity of gods that the Romans worshipped. But he knew when he was going to preach the gospel that there is only one way to heaven. There is only one God. He was going to take a hit there. But you got to consider that they had, those people have been brainwashed into considering that the greatest of all gods in the Roman culture was the emperor himself. And he knew that he was going to take a direct shot, not he, but the Word of God at the emperor. So he knew the, the culture, he knew the, the resistance, but he had no idea at that time the resistance he would face. But he was willing to go, and we need to consider the cost even in America today. We're getting to that point very quickly that we could suffer affliction for the cause of Christ, and we need to be like Paul. We need to still take the gospel because the gospel is what's going to change this nation. It's not politics. It's certainly not government. It's certainly not the president of the United States. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why we are where we're at is because we have not been giving the gospel the way that we need to. So, man, I hope that we'll all be Paul's and just consider the cost and get out there and do it. So we see he's in Philippi. Great things started to happen. Lydia, you've heard of her. She got saved. And boy, was she a blessing to the ministry of Paul. And boy, when she got saved, she got saved all the way. Amen. And she was a servant. And uh, she wouldn't take no for an answer when it came to Paul and Silas being able to come and stay at her home whenever they were in town. And uh, we are saved to serve. Saved from bondage to serve our Savior. And boy, she did that. And other people's lives were changed by the preaching. And of course, when you obey God and you give, you're a witness, opposition will come. It always does. And it came in the form of a little bitty servant girl who was possessed by a demon. And this demon enabled her to, for, and to give fortunes and to tell people's future. And so her owners loved it. They were making a killing off of that young lady. 
How sad is that? You talk about taking advantage of somebody and the plight that she was in. And so the devil used her and she would follow the Apostle Paul and Silas around where they were preaching and she gave her full endorsement on what they were saying and what they were doing. Now what you got to understand is the people knew about that little girl and how she was able to do this. And so it was more of a hindrance to the gospel when she said, this is, you need to listen to these men. They're telling the truth. They're talking about the true God. It pushed people away rather than bring them in. Again, attack of the, of the devil. So Paul, had, like our Savior, had compassion. He prayed in the name of Jesus. That demon came out. And now all the money those owners made was gone. And they got a little bit upset. Kind of like the operator who calls you for your extended car warranty whenever you, that you hang up on them. I love to keep them on the line. And I try to see how long I can keep them on there. I mean, I'll speak in different voices and different languages, and it's hilarious. But anyways, that was what the devil had used. And so the men got mad. Their wares were gone. They went to the Roman magistrates who were in control of that city, and they told a partial truth, right? They were Jews, and that was enough to get the people upset there because they, they, they were viewed as uh, uprisers or uh, they were viewed as subservience because they were. And then they were saying that they are telling truths or that not telling truths, but they are telling lies and they are preaching things that is against the Roman culture and, and religion. And that is true. So the men took them, they were arrested and now let's tell, as Paul Harvey said, the rest of the story, all right? So let's all stand. Your Bibles are turned to chapter 16, Acts. We will begin in verse number 22. All right, and the multitude rose up again, together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes, Paul and Silas, you see the humiliation there, and commanded to beat them, and it was a Roman-style beating. You have to understand uh, that was a horrible horrible punishment right there. Many people died during those beatings. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who received such a charge, listen to this, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And I love this, at midnight, Paul and Silas quit. Is that what the Bible says? No, I love this. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and listened, saying praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. I just can't imagine an earthquake so powerful that it would shake the handcuffs off of your wrists or the, the chains off your feet. We haven't had an earthquake like that in Oklahoma, and we thank God for that. Verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in. I love that. And sprang in. Can you see it? And came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Unfortunately, a lot of preachers that preach that verse, or a lot of Sunday schools or vacation Bible schools, that's all the part of that verse that they memorize. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Now, there's a great truth there that gives us all hope that we can be saved. 
But the verse has three very important words that follow that, that we must consider tonight and the whole word of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And, I, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to what's that next word? All that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he and his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, Baptist, and rejoiced, believing in God with his house. So tonight, the title of my message, I work with kids. I'm very simple. And people that know me know that. I mean, it's one word. It's all. Tonight, we're going to preach on the subject of all or the subtitle, the Macedonian call for bus workers. Let's pray, and then you can be seated. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. Thank you, Father, so much for a wonderful, wonderful bus day that we just got to take part of. Even if it was just here in the auditorium and seeing the parade and hearing the message preached uh, was worth it. But Lord, to hear of the souls that are saved pretty much on a weekly basis and just uh, seeing the bus workers go out, knocking on doors with confidence, knowing who our foundation is in and that there's a church that still preaches the gospel. And whoever comes, whether they're four years old through the real people, they will get preached the word of God. Lord, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for the souls that have been saved and for the lives that have been changed, not just this year, but for the past 40 years, Lord, that the buses have been running all over the city. You hear stories about people who used to ride the buses, or they ask if some people are still here, still doing it, their lives were changed, they got saved. Lord, we want to thank you for that, for the internal investment that is made every week. Lord, I pray that you'll move me out of the way and loosen my tongue so that I can speak very clearly and concisely what your word has to say. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, to be a, a, a member of a nation where it is still free to come to your house. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I think that everybody's familiar with the word all. You know, I looked up in a dictionary, which is a big deal for me, and it means this. All means the whole quantity or amount, the whole number, everyone. Now, again, I work with kids, and I break it down and make it simple. So you ready for the definition of all? You ready? It is all. How about that? And that is all. All right? I became familiar with the word all when I was a child. From my parents, I had good godly parents. Oh, and by the way, I can actually use these glasses, and I can walk around now. A year ago when I preached, I just got them that day, and I mean, it was a nightmare. But... Um, so my parents really instructed me where I understood all very well. You do all that my, your mom and dad says or you're going to be in a world of hurt, okay? Whatever mom says, you do it all or you're going to have all wrath and judgment fall upon you. Uh, when I was growing up, my mom was well-versed in all different kinds of foods. I have an expanded palate. That's a big word. How you doing, Brother Rick? You like that? I did that just for you. I have an expanded palate when it comes to vegetables. I would have my friends come over uh, to spend the night or to spend the time at the, my house, and we had vegetables on the plate. I had my friend one time, what is that? And I'm like, that is squash. 
What planet are you from? How many of you like boiled squash, steamed squash? Come on, what's wrong with you? All right, that's everybody. Praise the Lord. And I see those hands. And uh, so asparagus, different things. And my mom, every once in a while, pulled a vegetable out of the grocery store from the depths somewhere. And, uh, the, you know, the plants, uh, these vegetables that are from Sheol, all right, if you don't know what Sheol is, uh, talk to your mom and dad and they'll talk to you about that. Uh, they're called Brussels sprouts. Anybody familiar with those little dirt bombs, right? So my mom would boil those suckers and put them in a bowl and put them on the table. And I don't care what meal she fixed, whether it was roast beef, if it was steak or whatever, if that bowl was sitting on the table with Brussels sprouts, it totally ruined the meal for me. It literally did. And you can smell them a mile away. You know, I could have been down the block playing with my friend and I could smell those things boiling on the stove. And uh, so uh, she had this thing to where my dad, he was always like, keep eating them. You're going to like them one day. And I know that parents aren't supposed to lie to you. Okay. <laughs> it didn't work. All right. I don't know if it's child psychology, reverse psychology. I don't know. And uh, the only reason why I like spinach was, you know, because of Popeye. So he, I guess he's trying that. I don't know. By the way, the Popeye thing never worked. Uh, and so they, she would always put two or three of those little dirt bombs on my plate. And she said, all you have to do, honey, is take three bites. Okay. Now as a child, what do you think of whenever you hate something that is putrid and a stench in your nostrils? What do you consider a bite? That, right? And that's a bite. No, no, no. Not to my mom and not to my dad. To mom and dad, a bite was eat ye all of it. Okay? So I would sit there and I would wait to the very end of the meal and uh, praying, literally, I learned the power of prayer during those times, and eat the whole meal and there sat those Brussels sprouts. So I would pick it up and I would look at it. You know what I mean? Just look at it and just in stomach's churning, put it in your mouth and you just want to vomit, you know, and boy, you, and you try not to chew it. You know, I mean, I could swallow a whole deal of pills, man. And, and I, I put that thing in there and I just swallow it. And oh man, you could feel that sucker just slide down and you're just the whole time and you can't go anymore. You know, I, Lord Jesus, I gave it my all. Whatsoever thy hand finds to do and thy stomach, I did. You know, I followed the Lord's leading. Mom and dad didn't care. So my mom's like, since you didn't eat it all, you're going to get this for your next meal until you eat it and your next meal. Has anybody ever tried to eat Brussels sprouts for breakfast? Yeah. So breakfast the next morning, there they were. And the rule was you can't eat anything until you finish those. So I would gulp one of those suckers down for breakfast, go to school dreading to come home that night because I knew what would be waiting uh, for me there. And eat ye all of them. Well, 30 years later, a few weeks ago, we went to a restaurant, real nice steak restaurant, and my wonderful wife of 24 years, I love her to death, I really do, particularly that day, she shared the story of my hatred and loathing, and if there was a better word, I would use it, okay? I'm just not well-versed in vocabulary. And uh, they, they were known for their Brussels sprouts that they had uh, there, but they didn't boil them. You know, they would, I guess they were smoked uh, Brussels sprouts. I don't know, or roasted. They're roasted. And they're like, these are good, Brother Greg. You're going to like these. I'm like, I, there's no way. I made a vow, okay, 30 years ago, I will not eat those suckers. And they're like, we'll pay for the meal. And I went, okay, so <laughs> no problem. So those are appetizers. You know, that comes before your meal. 
which it was after. So they brought those things out and they had, you know, the little dressing on them. And I sliced a little portion of it and it wasn't boiled. So it wasn't like squishy. And so, I mean, I was okay there. So I, I put it in my mouth again, 30 year vow broken. And I started chewing on it. Now I will say this, it wasn't as bad as boiled, but it was still disgusting. And they're all looking at you expectantly, like something mad is going to happen. They're all like, and I'm sitting here, I'm like, it's good. It's okay. We're going to be all right here. And I swallowed it. I hate Brussels sprouts. Now that is not what the message is about. However, eat ye all of it. Now I didn't have to eat all of those because now I'm a man and I can make my own decisions. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But tonight we're going to talk about all. We're going to talk about all. And of course, you know how it is when you're growing up. If mom and dad tell you something once, you better listen, right? You had those mom and dads. And I thank God for bus kids that have those mamas, okay? When they start acting up, you tell them about their mama, and usually, man, it's just like, peace, be still, all right? But you know, we know that if they say something once, you better listen. If they say it twice, you better really listen because something bad's gonna happen, and they have to say it a third time. But you know, in the Word of God, how much more important are God's words? And you know what? In the passage of Scripture, that's why I pointed it out to you. God himself, on purpose, every word in this book is put there on purpose for a reason. He said the word all, not once, not twice, but three times. And then the three words in the verse there, and, uh, and thy house, which also means all. God meant that he loves all and he died for all. And we need to go out and do our best to reach all is what God is saying and uh, so I work with kids, so I've got to use illustrations here, okay? So I have a box of, hey, how do you like that? That's pretty good, huh? Pretty clever? Yeah, I, I'm not very smart, but when I saw this box, I'm like, hey, so we got it. <laughs> so this is a box of laundry detergent, okay? It's called all now. I did dump it. It's all in a gallon bag in my office. So no, the secretaries that clean my office, it's not cocaine. It is all, okay? <laughs> when I put that on my desk, I was like, hey, boy, when you work with bus kids, you're like, so... Had all here. And uh, so I looked up all on the commercials on YouTube. And in the 70s, their slogan was this. Give us your worst and we will give you our. There you go. Pretty clever. How many of y'all remember those commercials? Yeah, they always have like a five-year-old kid. All right. Playing in the dirt, playing in the mud, whatever. And or the kid that's oiling his bike chain. I was on a commercial, a four-year-old kid, oil on his bike chain, okay? Yeah, right. So he had a little oil can. I remember what those are like. And he had it backwards because he's a four-year-old kid. He goes, and he gets all over his shirt and he goes, uh-oh. And then mom comes out there with her all. It's no problem. Rips that shirt off of that kid, throws it in the, into the washer, and you can see it washing and that stain just lifts right off. It's amazing. Why do they call it all? Because they claim that it can remove all stains. Now, they do not make those claims on this box anymore. All they say is stain lifter because you can get sued for making false claims, okay? Now, this doesn't get everything out. I know you probably tried it. Maybe you've got some stains on your favorite clothes and you've tried and tried and it just doesn't work. But you know what? For sake of illustration, I wanted to use this because the blood of Jesus Christ is the greatest stain lifter of all. And it doesn't just lift, it completely removes and it does it right the first time forever. But we're gonna use this box tonight 
for our points. So we only have three points in our message tonight. And again, it's entitled All. So the first point of my message here, let me open it up, is this. Hopefully this is big enough for you to read. If it's not, I am sorry. That is point three. So let's get to point number one. Okay? It's this. Well, that was point three. I am sorry. Oh, I get nervous up here. All right, here we go. Jesus loves all people. Point number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus loves all people. He loves short people, Miss Joy. He loves tall people. You know it's going to get you for that. He loves mean people. He loves the nicest grandmother ladies out there that you think can do no wrong, but they are sinners and everybody needs the Savior. Uh, he loves people of every stripe, creed, and color. Uh, and so therefore God is not racist, neither should we be. You know, he doesn't see color of skin. He sees this if they're saved or they're lost. We need to love them for who we are. And I preach this in the gym all the time because it's such a hot topic that we need to love people no matter what their color of the skin is. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made in the eyes of God. He loves the worst of the worst and the best of the best. And if you think you're the best of the best, then you need to get saved. All right? We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And the reason why I said Jesus loves all and the worst is I'm going to focus on the man that's in this chapter, and it's not Paul and Silas. We're talking about the jailer tonight. And this jailer, this man, uh, we're going to call him Maximus, for sh and we're going to call him Max for short tonight. He was more than likely, by all indications, there are several hints here in this passage, that he was a Roman soldier. And back then, whenever they would take control of cities and communities, that's who they would get. Maybe a retired soldier, I don't know. But they would be in charge, oftentimes, of the prisons there. And again, there's a lot of clues that clue us in that that is very possible. So I'm going to take it as fact tonight. But he was not a nice man at all. In fact, he was a vulgar, wicked, evil, mean man. And you think about it, he had to be for the job that he was doing. And can you imagine the criminals back then? And, uh, you know, and uh, I thank God for our law enforcement. I really do. And, uh, but whenever they went to pick out the jailer, they did not go uh, to the glee club. They didn't go to the chess club to find this man. They started asking around, who are we going to choose for the prisoner and, or the, for the warden? And the guys in his platoon said, we know just the guy. You know, the guy that likes to bite people's heads off and, and you know, has the most kills and the meanest guy. They chose him to be uh, the warden there. And again, he was not nice. There's nothing decent about him. In fact, if you passed him on the street, you would kind of do this whenever he walked by. He's a guy that you wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley. However, if he was your friend, you would feel very comfortable walking with him uh, in a dark alley, okay? But that's the kind of man that he was. And uh, so let's read a little bit about this man and who he was because oftentimes when I have been out visiting with people, I have heard this a multitude of times. You don't understand, Brother Greg, what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't know my history. God cannot love me. He cannot accept me for who I am because of what I've done. You have no idea. Now, by the way, I don't want to know. You know, I don't. Kind of scares me, honestly. But you know what? God loves the worst of the worst. He loves all people. If he can love a man like this, are you ready? If he can love the Apostle Paul, and we'll get into that after what he did, God can save anybody. It gives us all hope. 
If we look in verse number 22, the Bible says the multitude rose up against them and the magistrates ran off their clothes, commanded to beat them. So again, their backs were lacerated, cut open. You got to understand this. And the Bible says this, that they, they laid many stripes upon them. They were hurting. They were bleeding. No medical attention. And then they cast them into the prison. Now the prisons back then are not like the jails of today. There are no weight rooms in those prisons, okay? There's no air conditioning. In fact, the conditions of the prisons back then were absolutely deplorable. And most of the time, if you went in for a small crime or whatever, chances are, even if you had a few years there, you're not gonna make it out just because of the, the disease and the sickness that was rampant, just the filth, no toilets in there. I mean, you can imagine uh, how nasty of a place uh, this was. And here's Paul and Silas, what are they doing? They're not breaking any laws. They're out preaching and obeying God. And then they get beat for it. And then they get thrown into this prison under the watch care of one of the most wicked evil men that you've ever heard of. Let me show you why. Charging the jailer to keep them safely. So what does the Bible say he did? Who, having received such a charge, and by the way, he took his instructions seriously, thrust them into the inner prison. Now there's a difference between guiding, leading, and then thrusting, right? He thrust them into the prison. You gotta understand, their backs are bleeding, they're lacerated, they're in extreme pain. They need immediate medical condition, or uh, uh, you know, watch care, they need something to happen. And he forcefully grabs them, manhandles them, that's a good southern term, and literally throws them into where? Well, the Bible says, into the inner prison. Who was housed, what prisoners were put into the inner prison? It wasn't the shoplifters and it wasn't the purse snatchers. They were on the outside. Who did they put in the inside? Murderers, the worst of the worst, people that did unspeakable things that were very dangerous. They put them in the inside, in the innermost part, so they're not getting out. They have to go through several layers to get uh, to freedom. And so he was going to make a show. He was going to make an example of Paul and Silas. He thrust them, physically hurting them, put them into the inner parts of the prison. He's going to show them who's boss. He's going to let them know who's large and in charge. It's Max. And everybody knew it. And Paul and Silas knew it too. But you know what? I believe while all this is going on, Paul was witnessing to them. He was giving them the gospel. Brother Greg, how can you say that? Have you read verse uh, you know, 31? What must I do to be saved? He knew some truth. He knew about the truth. Somebody had told him. Maybe he heard it on the streets when he had time off, when he went to lunch. Maybe I think he heard it in the prison because you know Paul and Silas, they're going to give the gospel. But so what else do they do? Well, then the Bible says he wasn't finished. He made their feet fast in the stocks. He put them in a contraption where it locked their legs in there. They can't move. They can't go anywhere. And you think they're in a sitting position on the floor. What's on the floor of that prison? You can only imagine just the, the rats and the filth and the sewage and the bugs. He was going to make an example of them, all right. They're never going to do that again. Not under Max's watch. Oh, no. Not a nice guy. Not at all. But you know what? God loved that man. And God was at work in that man's life. He was wooing them, him unto himself by, you ready? The arrest of Paul and Silas. 
the beating of Paul and Silas, what was God doing? He was working behind the scenes in that man's behalf to bring him to himself. There's a reason why we go through things. Paul knew that there was a plan. Paul knew there was a reason why he was going through it. And that was it. One man that God dearly loved. You sit there and you say, God can't love me for the things I have done. Well, you know what? According to the scriptures, I beg to differ. God loves you. God can save you and he can save you tonight. You have never done enough to not warrant the love of God. Their feet are made fast in the stocks. So here they are. They're sitting there. Again, they're in extreme pain. Their injuries are really, really bad. See, you know, we hear the Sunday school stories and we see the little pictures. It doesn't do justice to what these men are going through. And by the way, they're human, just like we are. They're no different than we are. We are sinners saved by grace. Paul and Silas were sinners saved by grace. What made them great in the eyes of the Lord, they obeyed what God told them to do. So it gives us hope. We can be great in the eyes of the Lord. We can also obey. But you got to consider they were hurting. They were in pain like you've never hurt. They were maybe discouraged. And so I try to plug myself into the story, read behind, between the lines a little bit. And I can see Silas sitting there. Well, Paul, now what? We just got here. We haven't been here very long. And we've seen a few victories. We've seen a few people saved. But man, my back hurts. I'm ready to go home. Now you can't fault him for that. We're human. Maybe we would have. Would we have stayed? Would we have had the same attitude that Paul has? I don't know. But through Christ, we can. Paul's sitting there and Paul started thinking, you know what? That man, that Max was pretty mean. He was pretty awful to us. We did not deserve what we got. And he, I agree with you, Silas. But you know what? I remember a man who held the coats of the men that, sto that stoned a great man of God, a preacher named Stephen. I remember a guy who would go breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the Christians of that day to shut their churches down, to throw the people in jail for worshiping God, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remember a guy like that. But you know what? God changed me. And if God can change me, that was the Apostle Paul, by the way. And if God was patient with me and he can do that to me, he can do it to this man. And you know what? Listen, Silas, there's a reason why we're going through this. God knows. And because God knows we're going to be okay. So I got an idea. Okay, what are we going to do, Paul? We're going to sing. Don't you love it? They're going to sing. Maybe they sing songs like, this is the day. I work with kids. Come on. This is the day that the Lord had made. I think they sing this. Are you ready? He's able. He's able. I know he's able. I know he's able to carry me through. He healed the brokenhearted. And those tough prisoners are over there like, good night. The Bible says the prisoners heard him. And he set the captive free. He made the lame to walk again. And I love this. And he caused the blind to see. Looked right at the tough prisoners. Peekaboo, right? <laughs> the Bible says something supernatural happened. By the way, everything that's happened up to this point is supernatural. God is at work seeking this man. So let's see. So we got number one, God loves all people. Number two, Jesus died for all people. Just like the song, the choir Man, it ties together with this message. And again, I had no idea what they were going to sing. The song that Brother Kevin sang, man, it goes right with the message. Jesus did not just tell us he loved us. He showed us his love on the cross. You know, it's easy for me to say I love my wife of almost 24 years, and I do. And I could say it 20,000 times a day. And my wife says I do. She's probably shaking her head right now. I love my woman. I really do. But what if 
you know, I slam the door in her face, leave her out in the car, leave her at Walmart. Maybe that happened once. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> not really. But what if, you know, I, uh, you know, made her turn out the lights before you go to bed? That's a big one in your marriage, by the way. Uh, first one in bed and I jump in for her. You know, what if I, my actions were contrary to my words? She wouldn't believe me. Now, what, you know, and I teach to the kids, this kid to the kids out in the gym all the time. What speaks louder than words? Actions speak louder than words. I can tell her I love her all the time, but if I don't treat her right, it doesn't mean anything. The words are empty. You know what Jesus said? I, I, God said, I do not just love the world. I so love the world. I love that in Genesis 3, or John 3.16. Every word is put in there for a reason. He could have just said, I love the world. But God said this, I so love the world. And he backed up his words, didn't he? That he gave, that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for the sins of all people. That's number two. All right, so we see this. Uh, so we get down here. The earthquake happened. And can you imagine this earthquake? It was so violent that it literally shook the doors off their hinges. It shook the gate loose. It's on the ground. And it probably shook that poor warden right out of bed. He's laying on the floor. And again, it was supernatural because if you read in the history of like Josephus or others, it doesn't mention an earthquake, a violent earthquake in Philippi. Because it would have literally laid waste to the whole city. I believe that earthquake was central right to that prison. It said that it shook the foundations of that prisoner, of that prison. If that's not supernatural, I don't know what is. Can you imagine the jailer the next day? Man, you know, the people walk by. Oh, what happened to the prison there? <laughs> the windows are broken. The doors are down. What in the world happened? Dude. We had this earthquake and it was so violent. It shook the doors off their hinges and, and the prisoner, yeah, it shook my chains off too, you know? And they're like, shut up. <laughs> it did not. Can you imagine? No, it really did. That must have been some, you know, uh, you know, fault line under that prison. No, it was God. God was at work in this man's life to get him to wake up to his condition. And so this is one reason why we know that he was a Roman soldier because the law was if a Roman soldier was put in charge of a prisoner and that prisoner escaped, their life was forfeit. And I don't know about you, but I don't think many prisoners escape very often, right? It's called self preservation. All right. And so he was in charge of all those prisoners. He noticed he got his lamp and he went out. Every cell door is open. Every window is open. So what is his natural conclusion? A prisoner that's got a brain. When the door opens, what are they going to do? They are going to run. They are going to good Southern word. They're going to ski daddle. All right. And so he went back to his office, he drew his sword, and he was going to take his life. Again, another indication that this was a Roman soldier. And I love the words of Paul. And uh, so verse 27, and the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep, boy, what a way to wake up. And seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. And again, God is at work in his life. He did not allow him to take his life for a reason. Verse 28, and Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we are all here. So he got his lamp out and he's like in his heart, there's no way that everybody's here. And he went to the first cell and there they are just sitting there. 
What were they doing? I don't know. I mean, their door's open. Maybe they can't move. I'm like, I want to get to the door and I can't move, you know? I don't know. Went to the next cell. Maybe they're sleeping. Maybe they went over here, went over here. Everybody was present and accounted for. He took roll call. Then he went and he just didn't walk into where Paul and Silas was. See, this man knew something supernatural was happening. This has never happened before on this scale in this man's life. He knew it was strictly for him. Everything that happened. So the Bible says that he called for a light, sprang in, and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. God was at work in his life. Then he said those classic words that we all know, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And I love those next three words because God knew that that man had a wife. He knew that man had kids. And by the way, they need to be saved too. You know, in bus meeting, I stress all the time, those kids that come, thank the Lord. Go out for them. Go get them. Have a great attitude. Be excited. If you're not excited, the kids aren't going to get excited. Love the Lord, but bring them. But keep in mind, they've got a mom and they've got a dad there. And they've got sisters and they've got brothers. And even little brothers can be saved. And uh, aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, invite them too. And then I tell them the goal of the bus ministry is this, not to have one. You know what I would love to see? Fam and I love to see families get saved, don't you? Maybe establish the very first Christian home uh, in generations, if ever. And I love seeing it when occasionally, rarely, whole families get saved and they start coming themselves. And they get faithful, establishing a godly line, having their kids in church. So when they get older, they get married and they establish a Christian home. I love that. And that ought to be our goal. Reach mom and dad. They already trust you. They let you bring their kid. I remember before I had children, I could never understand why these parents would not allow their child to ride the bus because not, not everybody will. They kind of look at you funny. And when I look in the mirror, I understand that a little bit, you know? But when I had kids, I started to understand because I love my kids. And I don't trust just anybody, especially this, to come to your door and ask them, hey, you want to come to church with us, you know? So for them to trust, you've already got a big uh, row inroads into that home because they already trust you. How about giving the gospel to them? How about seeing them saved? How about invite them to church? Because again, God loves all people. He died for all people. And this man had a wife and kids at home. So he said, after we're done with you, we're going to go to your house and we're going to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 32. And the, listen, this is a way to be saved. It's in the word of God. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. They told him something like this. You're a sinner, Max. And you know what? It doesn't take faith to know that you're a sinner. It's just whether you're willing to humble yourself and admit it or not. And Max said, man, and he probably heard said these words. You ready? You don't know what I've done. You have no idea how many people I have killed with my bare hands. Again, he was a soldier, a lot of blood on his hands. You don't know the cruelty that I am known for in this prison. In fact, you felt firsthand just a portion of what I am capable and what I have done. Can this God love me and forgive me? You know, and Paul smiled and gave him his testimony. 
I know a guy that murdered people, murdered Christians, murdered God's own people. And yet God loved me and he saved me and he set my feet on that solid rock and God could do the same for you. He can forgive all of your sins and he can give you eternal life in heaven and he can do that for your wife and kids too. How about it? Isn't that great? Gave him the word of God. Maybe he said something like this, for all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. Max, without the Lord, you're, you're hopeless. You're heading to a devil's hell, the place of sin. It's not for people. Hell is for sin. But the problem is that we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And think about this. If heaven and God is here, every sin we commit is pushing us further, separating us further and further from the God of the universe, our Savior, our Redeemer, but He loves us. We must have our sin taken care of. We must have it dealt with, and we cannot save ourselves. But you know, Max, Jesus Christ came, and He died on the cross for you. He so loves you, Max, that He sent Jesus to die on the cross. And when He died on the cross, He took all of your sin that you have done, and not just your sin, but the sin, my sin, and Silas' sin, and, you know, uh, Ralph over there in the corner, his sin, and Butch over here. Every person that's ever been born, every person that will ever be born until the end of time, Jesus took their sin upon Himself, a perfect God-man together shed his perfect innocent blood because without the shedding of blood there is no redemption of sin and he paid the price for your sin max and because he paid the price for your sin max you don't have to pay your own price and go to a devil's hell you can be rescued from your sin and the penalty of it but now you must put your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone and you can be saved and he said this he said the word of God unto him right and whosoever, Max, you can put your name in there. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And can you see that big, burly, mean, hateful man get down on his knees crying and ask the Lord Jesus to come into his heart and save him. And guess what? Jesus did. Amen. Changed his life forever. Why? Because Paul stuck with it. He knew there was a reason and God was supernaturally seeking him. What is God doing today? For the son of man has come to seek. He was seeking that jailer and to save that which was lost. He's looking tonight. If you're sitting here tonight and you've never been saved, God loves you. And based on his word, he can forgive you of any sin you've ever done. All you have to do is admit that you're a sinner. Do what the Bible asks you to do and just accept Jesus Christ in your heart. He will change your life forever. And home, heaven will be your home according to the word of God. And we can put all faith and trust in that. The man was gloriously saved. And then he was like, man, my wife and kids, let's go. You understand they haven't washed their stripes yet. They're still bleeding. They're still lacerated. But they went home. They told his wife and kids the same gospel that still works today like it did back then, how Jesus died on the cross for them. And even though his kids hadn't done what he had done, dad had done, they were still sinners in need of a Savior. That's why we preach the gospel every service here at Southwest Baptist Church. I don't care if it's four years old. I don't care if it's kindergarten, first and second grade, all the way up. They need the gospel because kids need to be saved. And you know what? They may not have had a past like their dad did, but that doesn't matter to God. He forgives all sin and he saved all of them. Then what did they do? They washed their stripes. Then what did they do? They followed God's uh, in obedience. They were baptized. And then what did they do? 
they ate a meal without Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Isn't that great? Their lives were changed forever. You know what? They, you know, they were, I'm sure they were members of the first church, Baptist Church of Philippi. I'm sure of it. They joined that church. Hey, you never know. Max probably became a deacon. He may have become a security officer for that church. I know who's heading up security at our church. Max, right? You know what? God changed her life forever. That man, Max, whatever his name was, and his wife and kids are in heaven today because of what Paul did, just pointing them to Christ and Christ saved them from our sins. See, we don't save anybody. All we do is we point them to the Savior. We, we take the word of God. Again, they read the word of God unto them. They didn't read the word of Paul to them or the word of Silas or the word of the Baptist. No, they read God's word to them and they were saved. Well, finally, last of all, it was already out. Got Jesus commands all to share. This is where it comes down where the rubber meets the road tonight. I hope your heart's been affected by this story and it should be. Every time you read it, don't hasten through the scriptures when you're reading it on your own. Delve into it. Dig into it. There's so many treasures waiting for you if you do. But you know what? God commands all that are saved to tell other people. Everyone sitting in this room tonight is here because somebody took the time to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't just show up here. You know what? God was working in your life, whether it was through a bus worker knocking on your door or whether it was a pastor or a mom and dad that had a Christian home that had you in church. It's that Sunday school teacher. God, like in that man's life, is supernaturally, he worked in your hearts and lives to draw you to himself. We're all sitting here for sake because somebody did that for us. They followed God's command and you better thank God for that. Where would we be if, you know, a Charlie go forth Third grade Sunday school teacher, he taught me the word of God when I was a little brat. You know, Steve Lyon, you know, he's a member here. Uh, he taught me the Bible in school, fourth grade through seventh through twelfth grade. You know, poor man. I pray for him every day that he put up with me. But you know what? People in our lives, but you know what? People are just obeying. But at the same time, God is using them to supernaturally work in your life to bring him to himself. We're all sitting here. If you're saved, somebody did that for you. You know what? They were following God's command. Why did Paul and Silas go? They had the Macedonian call. Paul couldn't wait to get there, but he was like, not yet. God's like, not yet. It's not time, but he wanted to get there. What was his main goal? To get to Rome. Who lives in Rome? The emperor. I mean, his goal was to give the gospel to the, the, the big cheese there uh, in Rome. He wanted to, but he couldn't until he got the call. He had the dream. Macedonian call, come over and help us. Man, I can imagine the very next day he was on his way because the door's been opened. You know what, folks? The door's been opened now for over 2,000 years for us to give the gospel. In fact, we are commanded, go ye, not go he, not go church staff member, not go pastor. How much do we put on the pastor whenever we're the ones that should be doing it too? Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, all, you got it. Exactly. Uh, go ye into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. That's all. That my house may be full. Now I know it's not talking about the church house, but I don't know. That's talking about heaven. But you know what? I would love to see the church house full. Amen. I really would. I miss the days when we would have 300 out in the gym. I mean, you didn't, you lost more hair during that period of time, but I loved it. Because that was more people, more souls that were here that could hear the gospel and be saved. But what if are there consequences to not going? Yeah. 
Think about this. What if Paul and Silas didn't go? What if they, that stopped them right there with their back wounds and that, how they were mistreated unfairly? Let's be honest, it was very unfair. And in our human, in our flesh, you're like, you know what? They hurt me. I did nothing wrong. Ready? All I was doing was obeying God. And if this is what's going to happen for obeying God, I don't want any of it. Come on, don't look at me like that. You know, we can all think that. We're human, right? But again, here's what gives us hope. Paul and Silas, human as well. But they loved God more than they loved themselves. In fact, Paul rejoiced in his afflictions. He thought this, if this is happening, we must be doing something right. You know, in politics, I shouldn't do this. If it makes liberals mad, I want to do it more just because it goads them and I know I'm doing something right. You know what? If the devil is fighting, you must be doing something right. Whenever your life is easy, no problems, easy, cheesy, easy street, no problems. Then you might look, you know, am I doing what God wants me to do? It's way too easy uh, right now. Because the Bible says we're in a spiritual, not a cakewalk. We're in a spiritual warfare. And you know what, Paul, what if he would have quit though? What if he said, that's it. We're going to go back uh, to where, you know, to, to our own people, to the Jews, and we'll give them the gospel. What would have happened? No Philippian church. Um, no Lydia, no Theopolis, no book of Philippians, no love offerings to help him on his way from a people that loved God that were one to the Lord because he pointed them that way. The church is established. But think long term. Again, what if he didn't go? What would have happened to Europe? What would have happened to England? What would have happened to Germany and, uh, you know, the Reformation and then the Anabaptist movement? What would have happened? You know, we could have very well easily been like an Islamic country if they didn't go. What would have happened to America? We wouldn't be the same America today. Long-term effects from decisions that we make right now. I'll tell you this. What if the bus workers didn't go out? What if, uh, you know, everybody that's supposed to go didn't? Well, then that door wouldn't have got knocked on and those people wouldn't have come on the bus routes. And we wouldn't have 48 people on their way to heaven right now because they heard the preaching of God's word. See what I'm saying? Ministry is so important. Bus ministry is not the only ministry here. And I don't want you to think that. Now, it's my favorite, but I don't want you to think that. But we have several opportunities, outreach opportunities that you can get involved in. But think about this. Think of the children of this world. What hope do they have without Christians? What hope do they have without bus ministries? You know, not all, but a lot of them. We had two kids off of bus one today, Miss Joy his and, uh, brother Andrew's bus, that they were on a secondhand high when they came to church today because mom and dad smoked the drugs all the time. And you know when they are high by the way they're acting and by the way they're, ta they're, they're, you know, they're talking, when they don't look at you in the face and when they do, you can see their eyes and you know. You know, that's, uh, that's pretty common all around uh, this area, especially with the legalization of the stuff. <laughs> don't understand that, but it's sin. But you know, there are families like that that need people from Southwest Baptist Church that love God enough to be willing to give up a little bit of their time on Saturdays and on Sundays to knock on doors, to get on that bus and sit by that child, love on that child, get to know that child. Because when you're doing that, you're pointing them to Christ. You're loving them to the Lord Jesus Christ. At the same time, God is supernaturally, again, working in their life, drawing them to him. It wasn't an accident that you knock on that door, but if you're not there, that door will not get knocked on. You know, we need help on the bus routes. We really do. Here's a Macedonian call. <laughs> we need help. 
You know, again, uh, this very quickly and I'm done. If you work on a bus, just stand up real quick. I'm going to do this real quick. It's an illustration. If you work on a bus, bus driver, bus worker, stand up. Everyone. Okay. So everybody look around. Thank God for these people. Now, watch this. If you're going home for the summer, go ahead and have a seat. Okay. A lot of bus workers are literally bus one, one worker. That's Joy. She needs help. Look at the poor girl. She, no, she can handle a lot. <laughs> Thank you, bus workers. You can have a seat. We're losing like half of our workforce on Saturday. So that's a one less person that can help effective visitation so that we reach more people. You know, I hate operating on a skeleton crew. I don't think that's the way God's ministry should be done. You know, we should do our best. We do not serve a God that, that believes in plateauing and going down. We serve a God that, that, that pursues and moves forward, you know? And the bus ministry can't move forward unless we have help. Southwest Baptist, we need help. It's a Southwest ministry. Before Hartland came, some of y'all sitting in this room, you worked on a bus and boy, we had a strong bus ministry before Hartland came. No offense, because it's a church ministry. You see, we need help. We need Southwest members. Hey, volunteer for the summer. Just a few months. Uh, and again, Brother Ted mentioned air conditioning. We have air conditioning on the buses. Yeah. You roll down the window and you go fast. <laughs> the faster you go, the cooler you are. So see, and consider this, it's not our time. When God saved you, he didn't just purchase your soul. He didn't just give you fire insurance. He purchased all of you. That means your hands, your feet, your mind, it all belongs to God. But so does your money and so does your time. And, if, and it's like tithing. If you tithe, you have enough money to do what you need to do. It always has been that way. You can't explain it, but it happens. Give to missions. If God's in it, it happens. Don't do the math because it was just confusing. It doesn't work, but it's God. Our time belongs to God. You invested in God's ministry. And by the way, Make a family ministry out of it. There's not a better way to spend time with family. Some of the best memories I have on bus route is taking my kids and my wife, spending hours in these apartment complexes with these little kids. Remember one time Jackie's sitting there on those little steps going up to the second level and a little girl combing her hair with her Barbie comb. <clears throat> Jackie's just loving that until I saw the kid take that comb, put it in her mouth and start combing her hair again. And I was like, Ooh, you know, so I told her and she's like, ah, you know, yeah. but you know, some of the best times I've ever had with my kids, my family is going investing and going out on bus route. I got some great pictures when Andrew was like one and two, you know, this big kid, shocking orange hair, you know, and we go to these complexes where the, the people there are predominantly black and they love my kid. They would hug him. So we go and I've got pictures of Andrew right there and a whole slew of kids that loved Andrew and that one white dude in the middle, redhead in the middle of all those, those kids. I love it. And the kids loved him too, but it gave him a heart for those kids, you know? And again, I'm not bragging. I have nothing to brag about. It's all about God, but I've never as a bus director twisted my, the arms of my kids to get on. I never said, when you get this age, you're getting on a bus, but they want to. And it's awesome. Andrew started when he was about 10. Hallie, too, loves working on bus. And Daniel just recently started working on a bus. Now, if you want a bus worker, you want Daniel on that bus. Let me tell you, if he just stands up, he's intimidating, okay? 
But I love that. And again, I'm doing something right. And it's not me. I'm just doing what God said. You see, some of the best times I've had is working on a bus with friends, family. You can have fun serving the Lord. You really can go out to McDonald's when you're done, you know. Uh, but I'm telling you, we need helpers. We need workers. And uh, there's openings. There's plenty of positions here. Some people look at this church. Oh, man, it's such a big church. They don't need help anywhere. <laughs> yeah, right. No, we need help. And we do. So I'm just giving you, I'm doing to you what, you know, the Macedonian man and that dream did. I'm just telling you, we have a need. And I'm going to throw it out there. And again, if there's an opening, I believe it with all my heart. God has a person for it. The question is, is that person going to answer the call? Just come on a Saturday. Just come out at 9 o'clock. We've got biscuits and gravy. Amen. If you now have biscuits and gravy, you need to get saved all over again. Actually, that's not scriptural. Uh, but biscuits and gravy, and I appreciate so much our ladies, you know, Ms. Amy and uh, Ms. Glenda, the great job that they do every Saturday to give us a great breakfast to go out on. We have a quick meeting just to charge you. We pray, we go out, knock on the doors, and uh, ride the bus the next morning. Reap the benefits of what you did on Saturday. And get a heart for the kids. If you get into their homes, God will change your heart and your life about them. You'll be more patient with these kids that are running around the church out of control. Uh, when you get in their home, everything changes because you realize where they're coming from. And that God loves them. And that God needs somebody like you to guide them in the right way because they won't get that at home. God commands all. So my question to you is this. First of all, are you saved? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? I think in a room this size, I mean, it's a pretty sure bet that there's at least one in this crowd this size that is not for sure they're on their way to heaven. It could be possible it's a church member that has been struggling with that. I went to church all of my life and didn't get saved until I was 12. But my dad was a deacon. Everybody thought I was a great kid, well, at least at church around the people I wanted to act great around. But I knew in my heart I wasn't saved. Took till Friday night of that revival for God to get a hold of my heart. J. Harold Smith was a preacher, preached God's three deadlines, and man, he broke me. I went forward and I got saved. There may be somebody like that. Heard the gospel for years and years, and you know you're not saved. You know, I can't think of a better time to get saved than tonight. Doesn't matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what your past is, God doesn't care about all that. He just loves you, and He can save you tonight. Are you saved? He died for all. He loves you so much. He can save you tonight. But then again, are you telling others? I'm not telling you to join the bus route. I can't do that. I have no authority. But are you doing something? If you're not, then you need to start obeying the Lord. Somebody needs you to knock on their door. So why not come out on bus routes and, and start working on that or get involved? Tell people at work. Isn't it amazing how God ties us together? Before uh, uh, Brother Hardy came, I was already working on this message. And when he said that, I'm like, well, it's a reaffirmation that this is what I'm to do. So just tell somebody. But the Macedonians call us there. Would you help us? I hope that you will. So let's all uh, bow our heads tonight. Close your eyes. And I just want you to think a moment about this. The word all. You have co-workers, family members that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about them. I want you to picture them in your mind. And then I want you to ask yourself this. What am I going to do about that person? Or how about this? Bus routes. You know what? I felt called to work on a bus a long time. Well, I'm, that's great. 
or I felt called, I need to do more, I need to knock doors, then we have plenty of opportunities for you to do that. So now what are you going to do about it? Now's the time. It's time for decision. So let's all stand. Tonight we're going to sing from page 494, Where He Leads, I'll Go. And again, that ties right in. God's leading tonight. He's speaking. I believe that with all of my heart. And if God is speaking to your heart tonight, I really encourage you to come as we sing. Brother Aaron.